so much. You did great. You can give that to me. You don't have to mess around with that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I remember their very first Sunday here. I remember where they sat. I remember coming up afterwards and introducing myself, as, as I try to do on Sundays. And by the time I got back there, they were hugging each other and crying because they felt like God was kind to them to bring them to a church that they felt that they could love. And I thought, wow, well, that's new. I mean, I come up and meet people all the time. They're not typically crying. This is awesome. I already like them. I like them a lot. And they've been family ever since. So very, very thankful to the Lord for the Emmons family. Hey, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke 2. It's going to be a helpful passage for us today. It's going to help us see Jesus clearly and compellingly, I believe. It's a really cool text. I've been saving it for this Sunday, um, the last Sunday before Christmas, because Christmas is going to be in a few days. Merry Christmas, by the way. Um, and then we'll have one more Sunday in 2019. And so if you're not a part of Legacy or you're a your guest, maybe you've come once or so over the last several weeks, we've been going through Advent like we do every year. We usually reserve the four Sundays before Christmas to go through what we call Advent, which is just a fancy word that means coming. God is coming. Um, and God actually comes twice. He comes once as the person of Jesus, as a baby in a manger. It's what we all know to celebrate in Christmas time. He comes a second time, but he's not going to come back as a baby. He's going to come back as a victorious hero on a white horse. You could read about it in Revelation 19 through 21. It's a really cool scene. Um, that's a second advent. We're going to talk about the first one a little bit today in Luke 2. Luke 2, very cool passage. This is the word of the Lord for us. Verse 8, I'm going to read just for a little bit. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen it had been told them. Okay, I'm going to tell you something you already know, and that is that strife or discord, it pretty much surrounds us. I mean, it's everywhere we go. I mean, all you had to do was get out of bed today, and you found discord or disharmony. Just strife is the easiest word. You found it with your environment. Strife with people, strife with things, with 
with your body, strife everywhere, right? Your car doesn't work like you want it to. Your relationships, they don't quite work like you want them to. Work is not like you want it to be. Nothing really works like you had envisioned, like you'd hoped for. And this is actually our normal. This is just kind of what we've always known, which is why it's difficult for us to envision and imagine a time that is going to be better than this. It's hard for us to dream up what eternity will look like when God comes back to renew everything and we are no longer haunted by discord and strife and disharmony, where there's no more friction. It's hard for us to even imagine that, right? I grew up watching the same cartoons most of you did, and the only thing I knew about heaven is Wiley Coyote found it all the time, or Tom or Jerry found it all the time when they ran into a wall or fell off a cliff or blew themselves up or something like that, and they'd float up to the sky on a cloud with a harp, and it just looked boring. It looked boring. So I just grew up thinking that's just what heaven was going to be like. Being with God is going to be boring, Right? And we all know that's dumb. We all know we don't float up on a cloud. We all know we don't have a harp. But we don't really have much to replace that with, do we? I mean, if I, if I asked all of you to write me a term paper on what it was going to look like when there was no more sin, when there was no more strife or discord, it'd be difficult, right? Some of you do a pretty good job. But it takes some stretching of the imagination. We don't know what to put in the place of what mankind has told us to think without it looking boring just feels like it's going to be boring, which proves my point, because boredom is itself a part of the friction and the discord I'm talking about. Boredom is our inability to turn our imagination on. Boredom is when we disengage with our very deep imagination. I think even boredom, in some ways, is a part of the fall, because in this world strife and in this world of disharmony, what you really want is peace. That's what I want, too. I want peace. I just want peace. I want the pain to end, the discord to end, the disharmony, the friction. I want it all to go away. This is why, by the way, we all grab for things that promise that they'll bring us peace. Strategies, aids, any little thing that says, if you use this, if you do this, you will find peace. Some of you already know this. This was the year, 2019 was the year that I, I finished my book and it was published. Um, and I wrote it on leadership sickness. I know that sounds like a, a weird thing, um, but a lot of pastors, a lot of Christian leaders, they get very sick in what's called hurry-up sickness or leadership sickness um, from stress, overwork, things like that. But in prep, I four years of preparing to write that book, and I've read maybe over 60 books or so on how you can invite things into your life and use strategies on how to beat anxiety and overwork and pain and how you can find those things. And I read books from the kingdom, Christian books and books that were secular um, or came from a, a position that did not really resource God on how to deal with stress. And it's always been interesting, all the different strategies that mankind has developed on how to beat stress or pain or discord, disharmony, or what we'll just call strife. It could be a breathing technique right? Which will work if you do it right, if you practice it, right? Or yoga, or different supplements that you can use, different ways of meditating. My, my most recent favorite, float tanks. That one's got some upward trending right now. Maybe you've read a couple articles here and there. If you don't know what a float tank is, it's about as complicated as it sounds. It's the size of a Prius, right? You crawl into it, 
Um, it's got water in there, not a whole lot. It's, it's that temperature of water that you don't even feel yourself getting in and getting out. I don't know if that means it's room temperature or body temperature. You can figure that out on your own, but you don't feel the water. It's full of salt, so you just kind of lay and float on top of it. You shut the lid to this thing, if you so choose. All the lights go out. Or you could have a light therapy, right? You could have different colored lights going on. You can have it be totally quiet. You could have brown noise, white noise, pink noise, music. You could bring your own playlist. What, what the whole goal is is to put you in a place where you feel like you're in a womb, right? And people swear by it. Special operations uses it. Um, but your favorite athletes all use it. A lot of NFL teams and NBA teams, they've got a whole room with these float tanks in there. They swear by it. Right? Some of you are thinking, that sounds miserable. You mean you're getting in something and shutting a lid like a coffin with water in it? No, I don't think I'm doing that. I don't think that's going to take stress away. I think that's going to add stress, right? But some of you, you have got so much strife in your life that you would pay 100 bucks an hour to get into something like that if it meant you getting out feeling peace, right? And no, there's not a place like that in Knoxville, by the way. There was for like 16 minutes a few years ago, <laughs> but it shut down because it is Knoxville, Tennessee. I don't guess there's a lot of, you know, momentum for a float tank place. I mean, we'll even notice a sense of peace just in preparing to contend with strife, just in taking small steps, right? I mean, that's why whenever you make a phone call to make an appointment with a counselor or a dentist or a car mechanic or a geek squad, just a professional that promises that they will take away your problem, whatever your problem is, just in making the phone call, just in setting the appointment, you feel a little bit of, oh, okay. You don't even have it fixed yet. It's not even fixed. Your problem is still there. And it still feels like everything's going to be okay, right? I went to a gun show um, several months ago with, with a few people in this room, some good friends. It, it, listen, if you've not been to a gun show in a long time, they're the exact same as they've always been, right? <laughs> booth after booth after booth of Chinese throwing stars, silencers, flags, guns, more guns and more guns. And, but, it, but it's always interesting. I mean, if, it's, if you're an anthropologist or a cultural specialist, it is fascinating to go to a gun show and walk around. Fascinating. And as I'm walking up and down the aisles of this gun show, I got to one booth with, of particular interest, and I could not get it off my mind. And it was for food wasn't even for anything that had anything to do with bullets or ammo of any kind or cargo netting or anything. It was food for people who are preparing for disaster, whether it means the power grid going out or North Korea parachuting in or a tornado ripping through. You need to have food for your family, and you can get a bucket of food that will last you a month or two months for a few hundred dollars. And I thought, man, that's crazy. It's not crazy that they're selling it. It's crazy that they're making money because so many people are buying it, right? But then they had a couple crock pots out there cooking it. Because all you got to do is add water to this freeze-dried food, hot water. And as I ate it, I thought, this is delicious, right? It's really good. MREs have come a really long way. And as I'm looking at the price, I'm thinking, this is actually very cost-effective. I mean, when you do the math per person per day, what it costs to feed a human being, that's not a bad deal. So I took a flyer, I took a flyer, and let me tell you, just taking the flyer of this place, just taking it home, made me feel more peaceful because I was one half step closer, should I choose to, to purchase, I'm one half step closer to strife being pushed away and peace coming. It's the peace of being prepared, the peace of preparing for your family, the peace of security. I mean, all you have to do sometimes is just take a small step 
and feel like everything is going to be okay. Why are we like this? Why is mankind like this? Here's the, the answer. You're actually built that way. That's how you're designed. You were designed to hate and despise the friction that comes because of the fall in the original garden. And you were created to hunger and long for a peace that's going to come and never leave. We're stuck in between two paradises, paradise lost and paradise regained. And you're in that tension, that middle, which is why we reach for things that promise that it's going to take all the discord and strife away. I mean, think about the garden that we came from before the sin. It was a place of no strife. There was a relationship in the garden with no strife. They were living in bodies that had never felt strife before. They, they were walking on land among animals and plants and vegetation. There was zero strife, no chaos, no nothing. They had a relationship with God with no strife. There was no disharmony at all in any of it. There was no friction in our original setting. None at all. And then mankind rebelled in Genesis 3 and strife enters the stage. Death was quick to follow. Because just as Adam and Eve were the centerpiece, the crown jewel of God's creation, as mankind falls, it sent a ripple and cracked everything. It broke all of God's cosmos. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 5 through 8. The sin and the curse affected everything in creation, not just us. Not just us as people, but everything. As far as the east is from the west, it affected your motivations and it cracked the, the rings of Saturn and everything in between. We lost God's peace in every single dimension. We lost God's peace in physically, culturally, spiritually, socially, emotionally. And when this happened in Genesis 3, we were pushed from one garden, ejected from one garden, right? Into a land that was going to have a lot of strife in it. As God says, thorns and thistles. Into a place where the land will no longer yield its strength, right? We see in Genesis 3, 24, it says that God drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Later on, the gospel story will be for us is that Christ figuratively steps right back into that angel, steps right back into that sword to bring us back into a better place of peace. But in the second advent, when Jesus comes back to recollect his family and to renew all of creation, in the second advent, everything that has been broken by sin will be renewed, right? Right now, we live in the middle, that liminal place between two places, right? That's why you work, but you're under-noticed, and you're underpaid, but you're overworking, right? Everybody. I mean, the land is still pushing back. It still doesn't yield its strength. We can't get along either. Relationships were broken, which is why we have war and racism and divorce. The, the land, it's cracked. Creation is cracked, which is why wildfires rip through forests and start encroaching on suburban. I was reading this article the other day about how wildfires were just crushing entire state parks and then moving into suburbs. Of course, that means that mountain lions are coming out because they don't want to get burned, so they're running into these suburbs and they're eating everybody's pets, right? 
And that was the problem, that you've got these mountain lions perched up on top of these roofs of these $500,000 homes, and it just doesn't look right. And I thought, well, no, it doesn't look right. That's creation falling right there. Nothing is working like it's supposed to be. A, they're not supposed to be sitting on a roof, right? B, they shouldn't be eating your pets. There shouldn't have been a wildfire to push them out there to begin with. Our bodies don't even work like they used to. Over 180 medical schools in America right now to train physicians to help your body as it decays. Nothing works like it should. There's plenty, plenty of strife between two paradises, between paradise lost and paradise regained. We were booted from one and we long for the other, which is why we reach for stuff that promises peace. You were built to. Whether it's a vacation or a float tank or CBD oil, you were created to reach for something that promises momentary relief of the strife that you feel in whatever dimension you feel it. In the last three weeks, we've looked at the songs of Advent, the first Advent, where God comes to mankind in the person of Jesus. What I've failed to tell you the last three weeks on purpose is that each of them have a Latin name. That's because none of us in here speak Latin, unless I'm wrong and one of you do, and I'll apologize to you later. I don't think anyone in here speaks Latin, so I don't know why we we continue to use the Latin words. But Mary's song is called the Magnificat, right? It's probably written in your Bible that way. Not a word we use anymore. But the Magnificat was a song of the gospel. Mary is singing of the gospel, but she's doing so as a person that the world says should be stressed out because she's pregnant, and she's not even 18, and she doesn't have a husband. She is the most vulnerable of people in society of that time, and yet she's not stressed out. The gospel makes her sing. In the second week, we looked at Zachariah singing a song that's been considered the Benedictus, right? And he's singing of the gospel. The gospel makes him sing, even though he'd been trapped in his own head, silent, and some say deaf, for nine months while his wife was pregnant, thinking about the mistakes he's made, right? Just meditating on how he failed and did not believe God, and yet the gospel makes him sing. And then last week we looked at what's called the Nunc Dimittis, and that's Simeon's song where he sings of the gospel, even through the temptation of being bitter, of waiting decade after decade after decade for this Christ, this Messiah to show up. My my goal this whole time in Advent this year has not just been to look at the song and its lyrics. That, that could be done, and we did that a few years ago. Not to just look at the song's lyrics, but to look at the context of them. As I tell people that are learning how to preach or new preachers, context is king. I want to look at the people. These songs didn't come from a vacuum. They had stories, and God used these stories, both in those who sang and those who listened. This song that we have today is a little bit different in the fact that it came from angels. The Latin name of it is Gloria in Excelsis. The song you just heard a few minutes ago was singing of that. Angels are singing about peace coming to mankind, right? But peace is not a circumstance. Peace is now a person. Peace is a person. Peace has come to our world of friction. You see, Christmas celebrates the beginning of the end of our strife, the beginning of the end. I mean, when a baby cried out in the manger that night, it wasn't just the the cry of a baby. Of course, it was a baby crying mixed in with all the sounds of animals doing what animals do in this dark little manger. But it was also the cry of declaration of victory from our prince of peace. 
It was also something that was beautiful, that was signaling the end of what breaks you and me. He came to stop sin. This king, he came to stop death. He came to bring us into a better garden, actually a city, for all of us who are broken and desperate and needy. He came to renew not just us, but everything that sin broke, whether it's the polar ice caps or our art our culture, our language, our sexuality, every single thing. And listen, the serpent, the enemy of your soul, he hated this cry. In fact, he did everything he could to stop this cry because he knew God had already told him centuries earlier that there would be someone, a hero, coming through the seed of woman, and it will be his heel that crushes the serpent's head. And the serpent knew. It's a beautiful song. This song of the angels, it's timely because everyone in this room entered this room carrying strife. We all brought it with us in every dimension. Emotionally, physically, relationally, we all brought it. I have it. I mean, I've got doubts. They follow me, my doubts. Fears that haunt me. I've got relationships that are broken, and I kind of hope that they'll get fixed. Ah, I don't know, though. I don't know. I, I don't know that some of them will. I've got... My mind sometimes doesn't do what, what I want it to do. My emotions don't do what I want them to do. My finances don't do what I want them to do. We find peace from time to time, don't we? But you can only be in a float tank for so long. The peace that we really hunger after, this world's not going to give it to us. This world doesn't have it for us, which is why we can resonate so much, maybe not with the angels who are singing the song, but the shepherds who are hearing the song. The shepherds are interesting, right? They are the lowest common denominator of society. They're the bottom feeders, socially anyway. They're loners. They didn't capture society's respect. They didn't even capture the attention of society, right? They're just out there. I mean, listen, you don't live day and night with animals if you're some thought leader in your industry that everybody wants is a little bit of your time. That's just not the kind of people we're talking about. But we still have them today. Sheep or no sheep. Take sheep out of the picture. It doesn't even matter what you do for a living. It doesn't matter what your cubicle looks like or what kind of car you take to get to it. If you feel alone, if you feel cast off, if you feel forgotten, if you feel like you need peace, if you feel like you have the effects of the fall in your bones or in your relationships, if you feel friction, if you feel strife in this world, you are this person. You are this shepherd. It's interesting. Probably a different sermon, but most scholars say that these shepherds were raising sheep that would soon be used as a Passover lamb sacrifice. Interesting, isn't it? I always say it's amazing how much symmetry is in your Bible. <laughs> They'd be raising sheep Raising lambs that one day will be sacrificed as it points to the Lamb of God who will come. I mean, how cool is this? These very people. But here's where I find our strongest commonality with the shepherds. We too roam around looking for a message to change our life. We roam around waiting for something, a song, a message, something to bring us peace. We all want it. We all long for it. No one in here showed up hoping that you would hear a sermon that would be so-so. 
You didn't get dressed and think, oh, I hope Luke kind of barely connects with me today. I hope, he's, I hope he's like kind of applicable, you know. I hope he spent like maybe two hours putting it together. I kind of hope he's moderately interesting today. Nobody thought that. Nobody did <laughs> You wanted to hear something that was going to bring hope and change. I look for the same thing. I listen to sermons too. I read books. I walk in. I want the same thing, hope and change. We all want God to change our lives. Why? Because there's so much strife around us. So much friction. I love this song. Fear not. This is what the angel says. For behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in this city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Listen, this is no coincidence. It's not like the baby came early, right? This is no coincidence that it was happening on this night or in this city. 700 years earlier, seven centuries earlier, Micah the prophet says this, but you, O Bethlehem, this is God speaking through a prophet, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, listen to this ruler, whose coming forth is from old of ancient days. 700 years earlier, God said, that little speck on the map, it's not even, it's not even a small dot. It's like a, it's like a gas station and a cracker barrel, and then you just keep moving, right? That little place is going to host God of very gods. And Micah knew it. God spoke it to him. And Micah, Micah knew he was never going to get to see it, but he prophesied at this time. Right around that same time, different place, Isaiah is also prophesying, and he says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, meaning the kingdom of God, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice, and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Here's a side note, again, probably another sermon. The gospel's powerful enough to hold up the sturdy investigation. Whenever you're building like a relationship with skeptics, whenever you're building relationships with those who are not sure about the whole God thing, not sure that Jesus is the only way, they're not sure if Jesus is for them, listen, let the Bible hold its own weight. <laughs> it can do it. It can stand up to investigation. In fact, you should encourage it. You should encourage the people that you're building relationships with to search on their own, to look. Challenge them to do it. They're going to find Jesus. I mean, a 700-year prophecy that nails it like that, that's not just palm reading. That's not a sleight of hand. That's God speaking to mankind. As a skeptic, when I was a skeptic in college, it was passages like this that finally got my attention. It was a passage like this. Whenever I read, and I thought, wait, when did this guy say this? And he said, 700 years before Jesus. <laughs> wait, God said this 700 years before Jesus? That's amazing. That's fascinating to me. I mean, just consider, even the wise magi are going to come later on to investigate, to see if the signs are true. Soon these shepherds are going to do the same thing. They're going to wander on over to Bethlehem to see if it is really true. 
And this would be their sign, the angel says. A baby wrapped tightly in a place that should not hold a baby. And that baby is going to become a man who will later be wrapped and put in a tight grave that should not hold a king. There is symmetry to your Bible. There is symmetry to it. Never feel as if God and his word cannot hold examination. Nor is God offended if you scrutinize it. God is not offended if you search this looking to see if it's really true. All right? The Berean church was kind of celebrated for that. Paul would preach truth and they would go home and dig out their Bibles and see if he was really telling the truth. I encourage you to do the same. Test and see if all these matters are true. It doesn't offend God. It certainly doesn't offend me. The passage goes on to say this, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. Just think about this. The angels that are singing, they knew the gospel story. They, they knew it. They saw they, they inhabit this place where God is mysteriously one God and yet in three persons. They're there. They saw the fall. They saw God build his story of reconciliation. They saw this moment. And with everything that they knew, with everything that these angels have seen, with everything that they've internalized, what does this provoke? Worship. Worship. That's their response. In fact, Peter would later on say something fascinating. He said that these angels would long to look into the gospel, hunger, jump at the chance to look into the gospel, not because they didn't understand it, not because they couldn't see it, but because there was so much to explore in it, so much to savor, so much to enjoy. The more they knew, the more they wanted to know. It makes me think that when we don't see the gospel correctly, when we get bored with it. For those of us who get bored with the gospel story, be warned. It's likely you've not come, come to grips with it, right? If the gospel is something you just get past so you can get to the other God stuff, right? The stuff that tells you how to behave means you have not truly apprehended the gospel and the gospel has not truly apprehended your heart. That's what it means. Listen, I've... I've got a couple pastor friends, one lost his job because of it, the other one's struggling with it, that they get feedback from the congregation and the pastoral boards because they talk about the gospel so much, right? People want them to get to the, the stuff of how to behave, what to do, what not to do, how to be better, how to be bigger, better, faster, and stronger, and they just keep coming back to the gospel. Like I said, one guy lost his job, the other guy's getting strong pressure. But by the way, be encouraged. This is a church that if I don't hit the gospel every week, that's when they pull me aside and say, you're wandering. You've come, you've come away from the dock, right? I've been a longstanding student of the gospel, both that saves me and sustains me, and the more I see it, the more I want. The more I see it, the more I get it, the more I realize I don't really get it. The more I see it and savor it and enjoy it, the more I realize there is so much more to enjoy. It's the more I beg the Holy Spirit to show me more. I mean, one of my prayers for this church and other churches in Knoxville is that God would provoke this angelic longing in all of us, that we would long to look into the gospel. He says, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Big question that a lot of people ask. Does all of mankind get to see this peace? 
No. No, strife remains for mankind, right? Just look at the news, crying out loud, right? This morning, if you looked at the news, right? Woman has a seizure in her home, hits the ground, the dog mauls her to death. Her body doesn't cooperate, the animal doesn't cooperate, the medical professionals couldn't get there in time. Everything broke in that. <laughs> no, the peace does not come to all mankind. Not, not, not what we think, right? Peace for mankind on this planet will always be circumstantial. Peace coming, peace going. Peace treaties starting, war starting. It'll always come and go. Float tanks, it just, everything comes and goes. It's elusive. Sometimes money will bring you peace. You make a lot of it, and you'll find out it's bringing a little bit of strife, right? For those of you who wanted really bad to get married, there was a lot of peace in getting married. Then there was a little bit of strife in getting married, right? For those of you that have a really good job, or maybe you like your job right now, sometimes there's a lot of peace to be found in your work. And then sometimes, let's just face it, it's straight up thorns and thistles, and the land is not yielding any strength for you, right? It's by sweat and blood and toil. The ultimate soul-deep peace will find those whom God is pleased with. Whom God is pleased with. So I think the big question for us is, is God pleased with us because we are pleasurable? No. Another big no. God is pleased with us because of his pleasure for another. The peace that you share, listen, if you're a Christian in this place today, the peace you have, that's inherited. You didn't earn that. There was a credit in your account because somebody else labored and did the work, right? And that's controversial. This, is, this level of love and grace is controversial because we don't deserve this peace, right? And we can't ever get to a place where we could deserve it. All we ever bring to the table is a serious dose of lack and need. Grace, which is God's favor towards us, totally despite us, is most controversial because God is only pleased in you because he is first pleased in his son. That's why you even have pleasure as a Christian. Listen, if, if you're a Christian, God loves you because he loved his son first. God, he looks at you and smiles and engages you and has joy because he loves his son first. This is what we see in Matthew 3. Stay where you're at. Matthew 3, and behold, this is a Jesus' baptism scene. A voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Man, if you don't get the gospel, you'll spend the rest of your life trying to get God to smile at you and say the same thing to you, won't you? Just like Sarah said earlier up here. She pretty much said my background and backgrounds of maybe 80% of the room. How many times do you get saved? How many times do you work your way down to an altar at a church camp? Because maybe this time it will stick. We'll do anything. We will wear ourselves out if we think it will get God's attention to look at us, smile, and say, I'm pleased. Well done. Well done. God's pleasure finds us because it found his son. It found his son. And when we become a Christian and God rescues us, it is as if we were wearing him. When he sees us, he sees the work of his son, the righteousness of his son given to us. Given to us. Because let's just face it, your actions are never going to be good enough to generate a response like this from the Father. Mine aren't either, not even on a good day. The good news of the gospel is that he already speaks this over us. Your Father in heaven is already pleased with you. Some of, some of you, that's all you need to hear, all right? You can take that home. He's already pleased with you. He loves you. He doesn't just like you. He loves you, and he doesn't just love you. He likes you. 
He's for you because he loves his son. This gospel truth is so incredible and deep and incomprehensible. Angels see it, and they start singing and longing and asking for more. Man. Let me ask, where do you experience the most strife in your life right now? That could be a long list for some of us, right? It's kind of such a big question, we don't even know where to start. If I gave you like a, a room and some privacy and a list and a pen, or you could probably rank a pretty good list, right? Top 10 things that are causing the most disharmony, the most stress, the most pain. It could be relationships, work, marriage, mind, emotions. What is it that you're carrying into Christmas that you'd love to see gone by New Year's? I'll tell you, when I talk to most people, with heavy strife on their life, I find out oftentimes the biggest point of friction that they have is with God himself. With God, right? We we look at God and we so easily think that he is at war with us. It's really hard to enjoy a God that you're trying to perform so well in front of that you hope he just puts the gun down, right? Like there's some truce that could just vaporize in any moment if your behavior looks bad. You want to enjoy God, but bullets could fly at any moment. So you have to examine every word, look at every deed, think about everything you do, so to make this God happy with you. It's hard to enjoy a God like that. When we don't enjoy the peace of God being pleased with us, we will wear ourselves out trying to earn it. But here is the uncomfortable truth. He's not in love with the future version of you. He's not waiting for you to upgrade yourself to a better operating system so he could finally enjoy you. He's not. In fact, when you were still sinning, when you were at your worst is when he came and gave himself for you. So as we celebrate Christmas this week, where is there strife with you? As you sing, as you take communion, I want you to think of these things. Where is strife? Can you let that strife, whatever it is, can you let it remind you of what God has done to cure it cosmically? Cosmically. What I mean is this. You have a headache, you have a car repair, you got some hurt feelings, right? Whatever it is, it's creating strife in your life. Can you let it lead you to the place where you see the angels singing, where you relish the gospel in your heart of what God has done to wipe out all pain? Because yes, you do struggle now, but there will be a day where all struggle is removed. And he has given it to you just because he loves you. Can you get there? Mary got there. Zechariah got there. Simeon got there. The gospel made them sing. They did this very thing. You couldn't convince them that they were anxious or bitter or shamed. You couldn't convince them. All they could do is sing of the gospel. Ask yourself when you're taking communion and singing today, is the gospel of God something you're bored with? Is it just something you get through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the news that got me saved. It's just news that they say at the end of sermons. It's just, it's just news. If that is you today, not, not to bring any shame to you, if that is you and you are bored with the gospel, and at least in an honest place you could even admit, yeah, I'm kind of bored with the gospel, well, even that is God nudging you towards asking the Holy Spirit to give you a fascination for it. I can't tell you how many times I have approached God in prayer and said, Lord, I lack a little bit of fascination for the gospel. It's becoming basic to me. It's becoming typical to me. But I want to be intoxicated by it. I want to be fascinated by it. Because I know, I know that is the most beautiful place for me. And I know that's the most glorifying place for you. So can you break my heart anew? 
Can you change my heart all over again? Can you give me that first love back? Can you, and you know what? He'll do it. The Holy Spirit, his role here, deferred, is to point you to Jesus. He waits for prayers like that. He waits for prayers like that. Listen, if strife in your life right now is driving you away from God, we have room to repent because strife will try to indict God and convince us that he's not available and he's not loving. This is what Paul says. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this pleasant time, strife, that the sufferings of this, pleasant, this present time are not worth even comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He gets it. It's the same thing. Same thing that Simeon was singing about, that Mary was singing about. There is struggle now. There is pain now. My job stinks. My marriage needs work. My body is always sick. I can't get a control of my emotions. Everything is out of whack. And all of it doesn't even measure on the Richter scale whenever I consider and meditate and think about glory to come because of what God has done for mankind. Paul's strife, by the time he's done with his life, would be chains and torture. And still, he awaited the second advent with huge trust, right? So ask for the hunger to long for more of it. If peace has become a circumstance to you and not a person, again, there's repentance needed for that. Because you need to know whatever the knot is that you're trying to untie, this world has nothing for you. Nothing for you. It's not going to offer peace for very long. So go ahead and stand with me. And we're going to take communion we're going to take communion today, and as we do, I just want you to think about these things. Not just your strife. It's easy for our minds to start rattling off a list of all the things that we hate about our life, right? I can get there fast. It's really, but then to take that list and to carry it to a place like the communion table or carry it to the place of prayer and say, Lord, this stinks, and I'm not even sure all of it's going to go away. One thing I do know, though, one thing I do know is you are so good to me that you came to defeat the enemy, sin, and death, to give me something I totally don't deserve and to not give me what I do deserve. You did all of that to put me on a path where my eyes will shut one day, but I'm never really going to die. And then this existence that we live right now, it's like a blink of an eye. It's like a blink of an eye. It's a vapor, and it's gone. In eternity, we get to live in this place. And this is what's coming for us. This is, this, is what, this is what glorification looks like. There is a place coming where not only do you long for the gospel, but for every millisecond that you spend with the Lord, you will enjoy him more and more and more. There is nothing boring about it. You won't be floating on a cloud. You won't be playing a dumb harp. You will be fascinated with who God is, and every single second you will be more fascinated than the previous second. Everything gets better and better. The trajectory of your existence is upward. It's not a flat line. It's important to know that. So as we take the table together, and if you're a guest here and you're not a Christian, you say, don't worry about going back there and trying to figure out what the bread and the juice are. Don't even worry about it. That's just something that we reserve for the body. It's something that we do as Christians. What I would ask you to do is take take this vision, this view, right, of angels singing over the gospel, the gospel of God for mankind through the person of Jesus, and consider what it means for you, what it means for you. For those of us who will take communion, I want you to know that you're joining a chorus of angels that are still singing. You know, there are angels singing right this minute. Think about that. 
That's pretty cool. These angels, they never stopped. They never stopped singing. They're still singing. As we sing, we're just joining them. We're just joining them. Think of how much of the gospel that they've seen as it's been unpacking over history. They still long to see more of it. They still hunger to see more of what it will do. Man, it's awesome. Let me pray for you and pray for God to change our hearts. Father, we thank you for being so good and thoughtful and kind and sweet to all of us. Lord, I thank you for the lives in here that you've already called to yourself. I thank you for your family, your sons, and your daughters here, Lord, that when you look at us, you're not waiting for us to jump through just enough hoops and to be just impressive enough for you to finally look at us and say, well done, my good and faithful son or daughter. But Lord, we could walk out of these doors and know that you're already saying that about us. Not because we're impressive, but because Christ was incredibly impressive. Lord, we would rest in that, that when we sang, we would sing, and when we take communion, we would take communion. When we write checks, we write checks, and we go out to eat, we go out to eat. We do everything with this knowledge that you were pleased with us, that you love us, that you're never going to leave us. You're never going to punch us. There's no truce that's just going to go away. And Lord, I pray for those in here who do not know you. Lord, I pray that you would reach their heart and ruin them for anything else but to just be fascinated and in love with you. Lord, that today, today would be a day where glory and eternity creeps into their heart, where they would start to see maybe the beginning of what the angels have seen, and that your gospel and your good news would begin to be fascinating to them. Lord, that today would be the day that you would change hearts. And Lord, I pray that the gospel would never be boring to us. Lord, I know that there's people in this room that that's already, that's already a thing. And there's no shame. I know I've felt it myself. The gospel is just a thing. It's just, it's just a piece of the church thing, piece of being a Christian. This good news just starts to become kind of common news, starts to become stale news. So Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to make it erupt in our hearts to draw all of our attention, all of our adoration, and all of our affection. This greatest story ever told, where we see how good you are to us, and it changes the very way that we live and think and play. Lord, you're so good to us, and I know you do these things. I pray for this city that you would do the same, Lord. I pray for the churches in this city and the lost in this city, that there would be a revival, a gospel revival, Lord, where as many voices are singing in heaven, that maybe Knoxville can catch up. <laughs> maybe Knoxville could be a place where our chorus is just as loud. We love you and we're very thankful. You're so very good to us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.